Well, I'm excited to get in the lesson today. If you're a guest, we're in a series called Kids Stuff for Adults. Just so you know what that is, is we're revisiting many of the Bible stories that we teach our children in Sunday school that we call here Discovery Classes and Junior Church, we call Adventure Zone here. But oftentimes, we as adults never go back and study those, those Bible characters and those stories again. So what we're doing is we're going back, studying the Bible stories and characters that we teach our children, but we're learning about them from an adult perspective with adult applications. I've got to move fast today because I had a hard time getting done in the first service, so you're going to have to really get ready to roll with me today. Recently, we've come to the book of Judges. Judges 2 verse 10 says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This is talking about a time in, in the history of Israel where Moses now has passed on in his leadership. Joshua, who brought the children into the promised land after leaving uh, Egypt and after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, uh, he's now brought them into the land. But a terrible thing happens. At this point in Israel's history, those moms and dads who had seen the miraculous intervention of God in their life as they've reconquered now the Holy Land, forgot to teach their children about God, forgot to teach them about what God had done for the nation. And therefore, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they began to serve the pagan gods of Palestine. They began to serve the gods of Baal and the Ashtoreths. And so God now is chastising the people. And it says, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. God allowed different people groups to rise up and go against his chosen people, Israel, and to oppress them and to plunder them. And this cycle now repeats itself for 350 years where the people would rebel against God and God would bring some foreign entity in to punish them and to plunder them. The people would cry out to God and God would bring a judge on the scene. We enter the age of the judges with the book of Judges. These are men and women who God raises up to deliver once again the Israelites from the hands of those who are oppressing them. But for 350 years, they get involved in this dysfunctional cycle to where they they start serving the Baals again. God brings a raiding group in them, and they cry out to God. God brings a judge and redeems them, relieves them again, and restores them. But then they go right back to their old ways for 350 years. To give you a benchmark, if we go back to 1776, the Declaration of Independence, when our country starts, to today is 240 years. We'd have to go another 150 years to the year 2166 to have lived out this period of time when the Israelites continue to rebel against God. God is merciful, sends them a judge to conquer the people who are oppressing them. Then they go right back to their ways for 350 years. This is going on. Recently, we start looking at one of those judges whose name is Gideon. The three most famous of the judges are Deborah, the first woman judge of Israel, and Gideon, and another one named Samson. How many remember the story of Samson and Delilah, huh? So last time, we saw that God is calling now Gideon to rise up against the latest one of these groups that God has raised up to chastise Israel for their unfaithfulness called the Midianites, Midia. And so God says in Judges 6, 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. 
He says to, to Gideon, I'm going to use you now. You're the next judge. I'm going to use you to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites, for the previous seven years, every harvest season had been invading Israel. And they would, they would beat the children of Israel back into the mountains, into the caves, and they would take the harvest. So the Israelites were starving. They hardly had anything to live on. So for seven years, this is repeating itself. And it's so oppressive that the Israelites now are making their homes in the caves and in the crevices of the rocks in the mountains out of fear for the Midianites. And so God now comes to Gideon and he says, I'm going to use you now to beat down the Midianites. Now, remember we saw last time, Gideon was a very reluctant general. And he began to question God. In fact, he asked God twice for a fleece, a sign that God was really going to do this. And we looked at that. But finally now, Gideon has accepted the fact that God is about to use him to overthrow the Midianites. So today I want to talk about victory against all odds. You know, we love stories about good trying upping over evil, don't we? I, I love the Star Wars adventure, you know, the evil empire and the force and Luke Skywalker and the Jedi Knights. So, I mean, we are captivated by those. And, and I love the Jason Bourne series, you know, new one out, haven't seen it yet, I'll be there. <laughs> Recently, I was watching one of these great movies, The 300, about the Battle of Thermopylae, where Spartan King Leonidas held off for three days thousands and thousands of Persians under Xerxes who were going to invade them. I love one of the lines. Xerxes sends one of his emissaries and says, our archers will darken the sky. The sun will not shine with the arrows. And, and, and they retorted back, good, we'll get the fight in the shade. You know, <laughs> you know I, I, love, I love these kind of movies. You know, and this, even though ultimately after three days, King Leonidas and his army was betrayed by one of their own countrymen who showed the Persians a mountain pass to get to the back of them, and they were outflanked. Even though they ultimately were defeated, every man was killed. They're really looked at in folklore as the victors because of their stand. Well, today we're going to look at a similar battle, only it's not Leonides and his 300s. It's Gideon and his 300 as we look at Victory against all odds. Great story. You ready to go? Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of the Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Now, the scene is this. Gideon puts a cry out, a call out for soldiers to rise up. And so the soldiers gather and they make camp just south of where the Midianites are. Now, the Midianites, we learn later in Scripture, number about 135,000. So they're set up to go, and in Judges 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. You got, you got too many soldiers. We got, we got to trim this down. Now, I want you to understand what, 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 what he's talking about. 32,000 soldiers respond to Gideon's call. They're up against 135,000 Midianites. That's odds of 4.2 to 1. There's 4.2 Midian soldiers for every Israeli soldier. And God says, you know what? You've got too many soldiers, Gideon. We, we got to get rid of some of these soldiers. Can you imagine what Gideon must have been thinking? God, the odds are already really stacked against us. God says, you got too many. So God says this, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. 
See, God's got a reason for doing this. Because he knows these Israelites and how rebellious they are in their hearts. And he's saying, if I allow 32,000 to go against 135,000 and give them victory, they're going to come back and say, we are mighty warriors. We were outnumbered four to one and we beat them back. So God says, so they can't do that. I'm going to thin the ranks down. So he said, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. God said, any of you who are afraid, you announce them. Any of you who are afraid. Think about it. The odds, 32,000 against 135,000. 22,000 said, thank you very much. I'm out of here. I think I'll pass this famous battle. So now they're down to 1,000 against 135,000. Now we're at odds of 135 to 1. 135 Midianite soldiers to every Israeli soldier. Wow, that's staggering odds, right? But look what God says next, Judges 7-4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. You still got too many soldiers here. Gideon's got to be going, what? We're outnumbered, 1 to 135. He says, take them down to the water, and I'll sift them there for you. So Gideon takes them down to the water, and God says this, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like dogs from those who kneel down to drink. In other words, the soldiers who just get to the riverbank and they fall down on their hands and knees and they just stick their face in the water and start drinking water that way, get rid of them. The ones who come and they kneel down and they begin to bring the water up to their mouths, those are the ones you're going to keep. Now, a lot of Bible scholars have created strategies of why that done, but really what it appears is God just uses this way to sift the men down to 300 because only 300 of them actually kneeled down and brought water to their mouth. So he says, send the rest of them away. <clears throat> God says, with the 300, that lap I will save you and give the Midians into your hand. Let the other ones go back to the place. Let the other ones go back to the camp. So Gideon sends them all back. Now, we're at 300 to 135,000. That's one to 450. One Israeli soldier's got to take care of 450 Midian soldiers. I'd say those odds are pretty dire, wouldn't you? So God says, okay, I'm going to use these 300, and you're going to defeat that 135,000. So he says in Judges 7, beginning the second part of verse 8, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. He says, get up, get the army ready. It's time. We're going to go to battle now. And he sees Gideon going, huh? And so look what God says. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack. He says, get ready to go. The camp's yours. I'm giving it to you right now. And Gideon still, I mean, wouldn't you? 300 against 135,000. He's going, God sees the fear in him. He says, all right, if you're afraid, you go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're talking about down there. So that's what he does. He gets his servant Pura because he is afraid. And, and I don't think anybody here condemns him for that, right? So he goes down there. And on the way down there, they're sneaking up on the camp. And Judges says that, that, that the Midianites are as thick as locusts. And they say they have so many camels that they're like the sands on the seashore. You couldn't even count them. They're looking at it. Can't you imagine as they're sneaking up in this camp and they're seeing all these people and all these camels, all this, this weaponry. 
They're like, is God crazy? 300 of us? So he sneaks up to the camp and look what happens. Judges 7.13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So you got two Midianite soldiers and one's telling him, I had this dream. He said, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. In other words, I saw this loaf of bread. Remember back in that day, they didn't break, have rectangular loaves of bread like we had. They had round, like cakes of bread. They would pound down. So I saw this bread, this barley bread, come rolling down the hill, rolled into our camp, and completely destroyed one of our tents. Now, the guy he tells us a dream to says this, Judges 7, 14. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God's given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. He says, that, that dream, here's what that dream means, is that God, Jehovah, the God of the Israelites, is going to overthrow us. Our gods have given us over to the, the Israelites. They're going to destroy us. And so Gideon, Judges 7.15, when he heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now he's excited. He says, let's go right now. It's time to take on the Midianites. He's excited now because he knows God has put fear in the hearts of the Midianite soldiers. So he gets up and he divides all the men, the 300, into three groups of 100 each. And he gives them all trumpets. And he gives them jars. And he gives them torches. And he has, tells them to light the torches and put them inside the jar so the light isn't visible to the enemy. And then they go on down. It said, he says, watch me. He told him, follow my lead. He said, when I get to the edge of the camp, you do exactly what I do. When you hear me break my jar and blow my horn, then you break your jar and you blow your horn and you cry out for the Lord and for Gideon. Remember what the dream was? He said, it's the hand of the Lord, the sword of Gideon. So he says, you say for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and 300 men with them reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard. God is so amazing. God doesn't miss a detail. If you've ever served in the armed forces, you know that that middle watch, that early morning watch around 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, when, when that watch is changed, when the change of the guard happens, the, the, the guard going off that's just served on, on watch is dead dog tired. I mean, they go back to their rack and immediately become comatose. They fall right asleep into a deep sleep. The, the soldiers coming on duty, they're still kind of rubbing the, the sleep out of their eyes, and they're trying to orient themselves to the darkness, and it, it's, it's a confusing time. And if something happens, they're, 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 sometimes they're not certain about who's in charge and who they should report it to. It's a very volatile time. And so God says, right now, in this time where they're volatile. In this time when, when the new guard is sleeping and the old guard's asleep, that's when you're going to attack. So they go down, and they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They're blowing trumpets, and they smashed the jars, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. All of a sudden, there's 300 lights around, surrounding the Midianite camp. And to the Midianites, every one of those torches represent a battalion of Israeli soldiers, not just a soldier. They think it's an entire battalion. 
And so while each man held his position, Judges 7.21, around the camp, the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, and the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So what happens is the Israelites are here, and they're shouting, a sword for the Lord. And they've got this trumpet, and a sword for the Lord. And the Midianites wake up, and they're still kind of in the ones who were sleeping. They're still sleeping. The new ones on guard are going, what's going on? What's going on? All the other guys, are still sleeping because they're so tired. And all of a sudden, they think they, that, that they're overrun by 300 battalions of Israeli soldiers. And what happens? In the fog of battle, in the confusion of the middle watch, they start killing each other. Can you imagine these Israeli soldiers just sitting there holding these torches and blowing these trumpets going, watching these guys kill each other? They don't even have to draw a sword. They don't even have to pull a knife. They're just standing there going, wow, look at that. And so all these, all these Midianites and Amalekites, and these, they're killing each other right before their eyes. And finally, they've killed so much of each other that they're so weak, they just run for the hills. And then Gideon tells them, his soldiers to draw their swords, and they chase them. And he calls some of those reserve soldiers who had already left to join the pursuit. And ultimately, they destroy the Midianites. They destroy the Amalekites. And that group of people isn't raiding Israel anymore. They've achieved victory against all odds. How about that story, huh? But so what? Neat story. We go home and just say, wow, I'll put that one away on the shelf with the, with the Spartan 300 ones and return to the Jedi, you know. Remember, Scripture tells us that whenever we revisit the Old Testament, when we revisit these stories, when we revisit these Old Testament characters, we are to heed warning from them. In other words, we're to receive instruction from them. They're there for a purpose, not just to enjoy the stories. They're there to teach us about God. They're there to teach us about others, how God has worked in the lives of others, both in individual lives and in community and countries and nations. And so what does this story have to do for me or for you today? What's the lesson that we need to learn, the lesson that we need to hear? Well, in case... You don't know this yet. The odds of life are against us. They're against us. The odds that any one of us are going to go through life unscathed. Never deal with a trial. Never deal with tough circumstances. Never have failures. The odds that every day of our life is going to be successful and happy and blissful and joyful. What do you think those odds are, huh? Anybody live that yet? No. See, the reality is our Midianites are coming. We've got destructive forces that are going to invade our lives. Sometimes they're relational Midianites. In the breakup of, of an important relationship. Sometimes they're financial Midianites that bring extreme financial duress into our lives. Sometimes it's vocational Midianites and the loss of our jobs or, or jobs that we absolutely hate. Oppressive bosses and obnoxious coworkers. Sometimes it's Midianites of health issues that present themselves. But mark it down. The Midianites are coming. And some of you right now are facing the Midianites in your life. It's not when are they coming. In your situation, in your life circumstances, they've already arrived. So how can you have victory 
against all odds. What's this story have for you today? What's this story have for me today? Well, it gives us a formula, an important formula to live our lives by. Victory against all odds first requires making God your hero. Starts with that. See, Gideon was very reluctant all the way down to the night of the battle until God sent him down to the camp. The dream that that Midian soldier had wasn't so much for the Midianite. That dream was for Gideon. That dream was to encourage him and his servant Pur so they could go back and say, God really is going to do this. And look what it says. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he what? He worshiped God. He didn't get up and say, okay, man, we've got it. We've got the power. We've got the battle. We're going to do this. He worshiped God. Finally, he made God his hero. Finally, he understood that this was going to be a reality, not because of his generalship, not because of the Israelis' military prowess. It was going to become a reality because God was going to show himself as the hero of the nation of Israel. See, we need to make God our hero, not ourselves. The psalmist said in Psalm 44, 6 and 7, I do not trust in my bow. My sword does nothing to bring me victory, the psalmist says. What does he say? But you, speaking to God, you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. Listen, when the Midianites invade our lives, the first thing we need to do is make God our heroes and not trust in ourselves, not say, what am I going to do? How am I going to get over this? What can I do? And start just trying to strategize in all the things that we can do to get us through the circumstances. The first thing we need to do is settle ourselves and say, you know what, God? You're my hero. You know what, God? I'm not trusting in my bow. I'm not trusting in my sword. God, I am going to follow you I am going to trust you. You are in control of my life. You are in control of my times. And nothing that happens to me happens without you being a part of it. It's making God our hero, not others. Life verses that I've chosen as my life verses are Psalm 118, 8 and 9. that says this, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. See, sometimes when the Midianites invade our lives, we want to turn to somebody else to help us. Somebody who has a better network than we do. Somebody who has more resources than we do. Somebody that we think is smarter than we are. Somebody, we, we want to turn to others and say, I need your help. We get on the phone. See, when we go on the phone, we're not making God our hero. We're looking to others to be our hero. Psalm 146, verse 3 and 4 says, Do not put trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. See, God will allow circumstances to come into our life that are too big for us and too big for others. It says, even those people who have the greatest social network, and you think, I can go to them and they can get me a job. And there's nothing wrong with networking to find a job. But when we're putting our confidence in the network rather than making God our hero, we're already in a troubling place. 
Look what it says. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And that very day, their plans come to nothing. In other words, they say, even those people that we admire, even those people that we think are so powerful and, and can redeem us and help us, they're no different than we are. When we die, we're going to the ground and everything we've done is past history. When they die, they're going to the ground and everything they've done is past history. They don't have the ability to save us. Only God has that ability. Psalm 91 Verses 9 and 10 says, If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. Now, he's not saying trouble won't come. Not saying the Midianites won't invade. What he's saying is that God will not allow you to be destroyed. He won't allow it to happen because you have made him the most high your hero. So it all starts with making God your hero. Let me ask you this morning, who's your hero this morning? Is it you? Is your hero someone else? Listen, if you're under Midianite invasion, if you're under Midianite oppression, make God your hero. Decide right now, I'm going to trust God. Second step, is embracing absolute obedience. The odds were 300 to 135,000, 450 to 1. And God tells them, here's how you're going to beat them. You're going to go surround the camp with trumpets and torches. I mean, that's ludicrous. There is no military tactician, no matter how great he or she has ever been, who's ever going to devise that plan. But because they were absolutely obedient to God, they didn't lose a soldier. They stood on the outside watching these guys killing each other. Just going, what do you know about that? See, Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. See, it starts there. Because if we haven't made God our hero, we're not going to obey him. But if we're obeying him, we've already made him our hero. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, God's righteousness, and all this other stuff that you need in life, he'll provide for you. So he's saying, will you obey that? Will, will you not make God a compartment of your life, but will you invite him to control every compartment of your life? Will you seek first his kingdom? Will you seek first his righteousness instead of spending all your time, all your resources, all your energy in trying to accumulate stuff that's going to stay here when you pass on? He says, listen, make God your hero. And one of the evidences that you have is that you are seeking him. You are not making him a check mark on your weekly calendar. You are making him the Lord of your life. Matthew 5, 38. Jesus tells us to obey something that just doesn't make sense. He says, you have heard said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the left one to him, let him hit that one too. What? That, that defies cultural expectations and cultural responses. We want to get even, don't we? You get me, I'm going to get you. You knock me down, I'm going to bury you. Jesus, that's not how I want you to work. 
He goes on to say in Matthew 5, 43, he says, you have heard that it said, love your, enemy and love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. See, why does he do that? Because so many of the Midianites that invade our life are going to come in the form of abusive, obnoxious outside people. And if we respond the way our nature wants us to respond, is we respond the way culture tells us to respond, then God's not our hero. God's not in a place to do what only God can do. God, we haven't allowed God to be able to manifest his omnipotence. Luke 6.38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying that we, the people of God, the children of Jesus Christ, our lives are to be characterized by giving, not trying to get everything that we can possibly get. Now, he's, he's got a balancer. He's got a deal. He says, here's how it works. You give, you obey me and give, and it'll be given to you. Said a good measure. He says this, for with the measure you use, I'll measure to you. In other words, I am going to give to you as I see you being obedient to giving to the things that I challenge you to give to. Why? Because God wants to bless others through us. He wants to make us a blessing to other people. And if we're just consumed with getting and getting and taking and taking, then we're going to miss opportunities to be blessings to other people. And when we're blessings to other people, God receives the glory. Involves embracing absolute obedience. Now, why is that so important? Because victory against all odds also requires taking God-directed risks. And if we haven't obeyed God at the foundational level, if we're still resisting obedience to the things that he's already revealed, when God brings some unusual, crazy-sounding strategy, solution into our lives, that really is going to require us taking a risk, we're never going to do it. Isaiah 55, 8, 9. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, speaking the thoughts of God and the words of God, says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying this. Listen, when the Midianites invade your life, I'm going to lead you to do things that just don't make sense. I'm going to lead things that you're going to say, what? What? Because God doesn't think like we think. His ways are are so radically different than our ways. And he will challenge us to take God-directed risks that can only bring the glory back to him. What did he say? To Gideon, when he had 32,000 soldiers, he got, you, too, you got too many soldiers because if I give you the victory with 32,000 soldiers, they're going to boast that they did it in their strength. And God will say the same thing to me. He'll say, Pete, if I let you do it your way, then you're going to take the credit for it. But I, I'm going to put you in a circumstance, and I'm going to give you a solution to that circumstance that's going to sound ridiculous, that's going to sound ludicrous, that's going to sound crazy. But when you do it and that works, the only person you're going to be willing to give glory to is me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And do not lean to your own understanding. See, we want to go against the Midianites with our own strength, with our own strategies, with our own plans. God says, you're going to get killed. You can't do it. You've got to do it my way. Don't lean to your own understanding. And some of you who are under attack right now, some of you who the Midianites have invaded your life, this is what you've been doing. You've been trying to figure your way out of this thing. You don't have the ability, if this is a God thing in your life, and God has brought this circumstance in your life, you do not have the ability to figure it out. You've got to make God your hero. You've got to obey him. Jesus, Mark, Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields and, uh, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. In other words, when, when he commanded us to seek first the kingdom of God, he says, if you do that, if you take that risk, I promise you, you're not going to outgive me. God says you'll receive a hundred times more and you'll receive eternal life. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me this, in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't even hold. So he says, bring that 10%. Give me 10% of your income. Now that's risky. 10%. That's a lot of money, Lord. 10%. And I remember struggling with that. I do. I remember saying, 10%, I can't do that. If I give you 10%, I'm not going to have enough to live on. But finally, I took the risk, and I obeyed God. And you know what? God made that 90% and continues to make that 90% go farther than I could make 110% go. It just doesn't make sense, but it's true. After the first service, I had a lady run me down. She pulled me aside, and she goes, Pastor, i got to tell you, do you remember several years ago when you had people on the stage, and they were talking about tithing? She goes, I heard that message, and, and I, I decided that I was going to start tithing. And I didn't have a penny to my name. I was poor. I, was, I didn't know how it was going to happen. She goes, but I want to tell you, I just closed on my second house, and now I've got my nursing degree, and my kids have cars. And she says, it We've got to take risks. 2 Corinthians 9, why? Why does God want us to take risks? 2 Corinthians 9, 12, 13 says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, because you made God your hero, you obeyed him, you embraced obedience, and you have begun taking godly risks, other people are going to notice that because people are watching you. People are watching you, and when God is free to bless you, people are saying, wow, I want what you have. What do you have that I don't have? And our response is what? Jesus. I've got Jesus, and you can have him too. Taking God-directed risks. Oh, I got to quit. But I'll give you the last point because some of you just couldn't stand to leave without the last point. You'd be going, what's the last point? Victory against all odds requiring pursuing your full, your full potential. When the angel of the Lord that we believe was actually a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ first appeared to Gideon, his first words were this. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> was Gideon a mighty warrior? No, he was hiding from the Midianites when the angel came to him. He was scared to death. He's a farmer. He's never been in battle in his life. I'll bake you a nice cake. You're a mighty warrior. Gideon didn't see it. And Gideon tried to get out of it because Gideon could not believe that he could be a general 
that would lead the Israelites in successful battle against the Midianites. But God knew that was his potential. And see, God sees potential in you that you can't even begin to imagine. You, 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 you can't begin in your own strength to understand how much God can use your life. You don't begin to believe what God can do through you. Now, I'm really insignificant in the world. I'm a pastor of the Bridge Church here, 9300 Pembroke Road. But I tell you what, as you know, my aspiration was to be a trumpet player. That's what I was going to be. I never thought of being a minister. I never thought of being a pastor. I never thought of getting up in front of people and, and, and preaching God's word. I just wanted to sit behind a music stand and play my trumpet. But see, God said, you have a potential that you don't know about. You have a potential you don't realize. And he called me. And I took a risk and I lived that comfortable life. And I, God has brought me through so many unbelievable circumstances. He's given me so many victories because... I was willing to take that risk. God has used me in ways I could have never imagined. Last year, you helped us celebrate 20 years here. I can't imagine at this point in my life having done anything else. I can't imagine not having spending the last 20 years with you. Listen, God has a plan for you. God knit you together when you were still in your mom's womb. And no matter what the circumstances of your life, the message God has for you today is you can have victory against all odds. It starts by making God your hero. And when God's your hero, then you're going to embrace obedience. And once you get in the habit of just being obedient, then you'll be willing to take God-directed risks. And it's by taking those God-directed risks that God grows you and God builds your confidence in him working in your life and allows you to receive your full potential so that when you stand before him one day, you'll be complete, you'll be mature, not lacking anything, and God will be able to reward you in an unimaginable way. Let's bow our heads. Maybe today the Midianites are invading your life. Then God brought you here today for a message of encouragement, that he knows about it. He's not abandoned you. And he has the power to bring you through these circumstances. And so today, right now, right where you are, praying to God, you speaking, one-on-one, just him. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you. Don't worry about what you're spouse is processing or your friend, right now, you just make God your hero and say, God, I am not trusting in my bow. I'm not trusting in my sword. I'm not trusting in anybody else. You are my hero, God. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to start obeying what you've already told me to do and what you've been telling me to do. And God, when you ask me to take a risk, I'm going to do it because you are my hero and because I want to realize my full potential in you. God, may that prayer be true in the heart and the life of every man and woman here today, beginning with me. God, we all need to put you in a higher place in our lives, every one of us, because you really are the hero of our story. And at the end, when we leave this life and we're ushered into eternity, it's not going to be anything that we've done. It's not going to be anything that anybody else has done. It's going to be what you've done through us that will count for eternity. 
And so right now, we give you the glory for that, God. And we ask you to be our hero. We'll give you the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.